Welcome back to Mundaria Legends. I am your host, Michael Stone. I am excited to announce that finally, after close to a year's worth of work, I am approaching the completion of my first draft of God Slayers this month, just in time for NaNoWriMo. So, be sure to find me on TikTok or Instagram as at Writer, or on Facebook as Author Michael Stone for more updates. And hopefully I'll be able to get this book out and published sometime next year. For now, though, we bring to you Episode 12 of Season 2, The Crownless. Zeru walked slowly towards the Maieli throne, walking across the narrow stone bridge that extended from the throne room's pool rim towards the gaudy chair. He placed the urn he recovered from Regnath on the throne before him, and, as he checked his surroundings to ensure that he was alone, a sharp, stinging loneliness ate at him. He was not so conceited as his enemies surely thought he was. He knew very well that his current isolation was at least partially self-inflicted. It was he, after all, that had eliminated the last of his family, his dear nephew Tyrial, and the other healers he had been forced to kill— they were among the last of his people that had been patient enough, fool enough, or simply ignorant enough of who he was to trust having an audience with his person on his many travels from Regnath to Athal. But even his own people were not without fault in all that had transpired. The healers had never fully subjected themselves to his excellency, the Eternal Sovereign. They had not been among the first to rebel, of course, but they did not refuse their services to those traitors that had dared raise their hands against their royal benefactor, and so it was that they too would not be spared what was to come. Zeru sighed deeply, pulling out the hateful banishing blade in front of him. This wicked device. This was the symbol of all the petty, selfish, and arrogant ambition of those rebels all those many years ago the tool that had finally killed his majesty, that had stolen the only peace from this world that it could ever know. Tears began to well in Zeru's eyes. If only he had been more careful as a child. He should have run back to his home. He shouldn't have trusted the words of those traitors who had told him that his parents were gone. He would have been able to have his mother and father to rely on. If only he had gone back to his home, right then, right when those criminals had murdered their rightful king. Perhaps then, at some time, over these many centuries, he could have found some trace of their remains. But, as it was, he did at least have the king's remains. As he lifted the banishing blade, Focusing all his will on the urn before him, he waited. He would probably sense the death and pain around him with his god shard well before he could hear it. He would have to act quickly. Souls, after all, were not like blood and bone. They did not usually linger long after their separation from a body. If he was to use the rent souls of this impending disaster to help him to restore the spirit of his king to the ashes before him, he would have to be especially attentive. Every fallen victim would be necessary. But, 
as he had predicted, his foes had not underperformed in their bitter determination to destroy one another. With but the barest of suggestions to a listening ear here, a desperate politician there, the dwarves and avians had readied their assault forces for the complete annihilation of Ethal, and all to try to find the very accursed weapon Zeru was now wielding. Additionally, without the healers Zeru had already killed, there would be thousands dead before the end of the day. Souls being torn from their bodies left and right, all around Zeru, where, after all his experimentation on Cruz and on the Isles of the Cthu, he here, in the middle of Ethal, hidden in this forbidden throne room, would be able to sense them as he would wounded tissue and redirect those souls here, where their disparate elements would be healed together like so much a graft, and at last resurrect the only being who could restore the peace Zeru had been longing for all these many, many years. So, although circumstance had forced this isolation on him, both in the past and in this abysmal, pathetic present, his isolation would end. The Maieli, with all their plotting, scheming, and hypocrisy, would end. The dwarves and their material lusts, the avians and their ancient bigotries, all these misbegotten peoples would finally be brought to an end, and the survivors made to kneel before their king. And so Zeru sat, crossing his legs, and listened carefully. Waiting now for the massacre to begin would be difficult, but he had waited this long, and the foul blade he carried would at last be used to bring back the very person it was created to destroy. The prophecy of the Cthu would come at last to pass. All will see the Dread King. The main assembly hall was packed as it rarely ever had been. Loella reflected on how many times she had seen row upon row of empty seats, or nervous-looking clerks sweating as they took notes for their superiors, who had far better things to do than actual legislation, especially during wartime. But today, every seat was taken, and even the audience seats in the upper rims of the large circular room were all filled to capacity, with many onlookers having to content themselves with standing room only. The thought of an imminent attack, here, today, not only drove Loella's heartbeat to a hummingbird's pace, but also called up some rather unpleasant memories of another time when the Senate's official place of business was attacked. And yet, she couldn't do anything. She had no concrete proof of the all but certain impending disaster, and even if she were to shout out her warning, she would be arrested and immediately discredited. Our only option is for you to play along, Sir Clipsos had instructed. If anyone suspects that you are Loella, you may well cause the disaster we are trying to prevent. 
Remember the prophecy. You must stand before Chiral not as Loella, but as Jula of the Vassian Isles. That is the only way we will find Zeru again. But, as she recalled the Sentinel's counsel, she couldn't help but feel a hot prickling on the back of her head. Sir Clipsos hadn't known, of course, what Loella had done, what Antial had told Chiral, and yet, here they were. There was nothing else to do but play her part, face the man she loved, and lie to him again. And the presentations of the other candidates' gifts did not help Loella's nausea ease in the slightest. As you can see, this statue is made from the finest marble, quarried exclusively from my home province of Selesal. In uncertain times like these, your majesty, is not this the symbol of our union with the humans, exactly what our divided society needs? The voice was that of a red and pinkish merwoman, heavily decorated with makeup and earrings that rivaled the size of her head. She was sitting in her palanquin, set beside what was one of the more grotesque monstrosities that Luella had ever seen anyone dare to call art. The statue in question depicted a life-size King Chiral reclining on his throne, but reaching down to help the ugliest, most shabbily dressed humans Luella could imagine. The sculptor had taken care to cross eyes, contort postures, and add a variety of wounds, humps, lumps, and all manner of other visual deformities on the humans. Loella supposed that this was an attempt to depict the humans in their true state, helpless, demented, in need of saving. Fortunately, Chiral's face appeared as green as Loella was feeling. Even through the perpetual despondency hanging on his face, Chiral still managed to slide in a hint of his relief that he could finally have someone cart the statue back out of his sight. Thank you, Relai, for your uh, thoughtfulness. You'll be up next, Lieutenant Jornel told Loella. She had been relieved to have spotted him again on her way in. And even more grateful, he was able to find another guard to cover for him as he personally escorted her into the assembly hall. He had insisted on coming with her, arguing that if things were bad enough that she was again risking being discovered in the very heart of the thal, that he would feel much better if someone who knew their way around a spear and sword was providing backup. Without any sign of Haggerty, Loella could not call on him to stand with her at this dire juncture. Not even Sir Clipsos could come. Cthu in general were distrusted, sentinel Cthu even less, and with so many hydromancer guards, there was no way they could get away with successfully disguising him. So even though Lieutenant Jornel hardly knew Loella, nor would ever be told all of what Loella was fully fearing and feeling, she was grateful at least for his company, as her palanquin was brought down to the middle of the audience chamber's massive pool. There was a concrete island situated in the exact center of the water. The humans bearing her palaquin swam it across the water. Yet another needless demonstration of merfolk prejudice, but again, Sir Clipsos's instructions had been specific. They had to blend in. Heaving, the men slid it onto the central podium. And for our last candidate, 
the Archon recognizes Jula of the Vassian Isles. Antiol's official, yet singly bored voice rang out from the right of Chiral. He was reclining in his chair, confident, yet irritated. All of the women that had presented their gifts to Chiral had not elicited much of a reaction from the troubled royal. By all appearances, it seemed that Chiral had failed to see in any of the merfolk women what he was looking for. Antiol, of course, had not missed this, just as Loella had not missed his dirty smirks of triumph at each sigh or jaded expression from the king. Pray tell us, what is your offer to Prince Chiral? What sacrifice does Jula bring to the man who would be king? Antiol clipped that last word, clearly implying his disdain for such a notion. Loella reached for the bag, resting beside her on the palaquin. Inside, there was another lie Loella was being asked to defend. A simple stone, imbued with an illusion from Sir Clipsos, that gave it the appearance and weight of a sleek, pale metal that Loella had only ever seen in one other object, the Banishing Blade. That illusion should convince all but the most discerning metal worker that what you have there is invulnium, Sir Clipsos had told her. Telling Chiral and the Senate that you have found an underwater source in your province should beat out anyone else's offer. And as she drew it from her bag, and even up until the moment she held it up for the Senate to see, she fully expected to follow through with her plan. The only plan. But then she saw the look in his eyes. Chiral looked so different, almost exactly as troubled as he had been, when she had found him on cruise that long, long time ago. Strange that he could be so different than what he once was, without any illusion of a Cthulhu. And then, all at once, she realized what she needed to do. She paused, her gaze fixed on Chiral. And then she decided to make a mistake and return the stone to its pouch. Does Jula of the Vassian Isles have anything to offer or not? Archon Antiol demanded. We don't have all day. Loella ignored Antiol, clenching her jaw as tears began to well in her eyes. Chiral's morose demeanor hardly shifted, but his brow did furrow slightly in confusion. She had his attention. I... I do have something for his majesty, Loella affirmed, the wide assembly hall growing quiet as all eyes fell on her. Is there no other way, she asked herself, here and now? She wasn't sure that what she was about to do was the right thing, but it felt right. She looked around the assembly hall with a pang of realization at what she should have seen all along. Not the dresses, jewelry, and finery. Not the stunning white smile of Archon Antial. And not the gilded palaquins of the assembled elite of Maeli society. Not even the shifty, steely glares of the avian and dwarven delegations. They were all just like she had been. They were all Loella.
and she couldn't be that way anymore. She turned to Kyral and faced him directly. I am sorry. I am so sorry. She began to weep. Irritated murmurs began to break from the crowd. What was the meaning of this? Whose stupid daughter was this again? I... I've lied to you, Kyrol, Loella began, trying to steady her voice despite the knotted guilt she was feeling in her throat. It was not your fault. Please, please believe me. None of this is your fault. I had told you that you were holding me back, that you were a liability. And I see now that was what caused you to leave all those months ago. But it took me too long to see just how wrong I was. Archon Antia leaned forward in his palaquin, peering at Loella as one would a pile of excrement sinking into the ocean. What is the meaning of this girl? Have you lost your senses? But Loella had already started, and now could not stop, could not be diverted. Antial may well have tried to distract away a flood from a breaking dam. Chiral, on the other hand, was frozen in place. Whether by curiosity, respect, or a growing sense of shock, she couldn't tell. I wanted out. I wanted to have the kind of life everyone else here in the Senate has. Attention, power, wealth, she confessed, shame flaring in her face as she spoke. I had thought that our agreement meant that I could have all that, but it wasn't good enough for me. I wanted it all, and I wanted it right then, on my petty little timetable. And, Chiral, I was wrong. A growing recognition, coupled with confusion, grew on Antial's face. Chiral was still transfixed. Loella continued. When you left... Uh, I was furious at first, but when I thought of what might have happened to you, you, you must understand, I have been trying to make things better. I was trying to be better. We have indulged this madwoman long enough. Guards, take her away, Antiel commanded. The order was so loud, so sudden, that the guards spun around in surprise, looking for clarification from Antial. No, Chiral responded steadily. Let her speak. Antial looked as if he was about to commit Chiral to an insane asylum, but before he could get a word in, Chiral spoke over him. The Senate's rules on these presentations are clear. She has the floor until she is done giving her gift, Chiral reminded the Archon. Seeing no support from Chiral, the Archon turned immediately to Loella. Who are you, really? he demanded, incensed. Hopefully, no one you could now recognize, Loella resolutely responded. I hope to never again be the person who only ever saw Chiral as a tool to be used. I hope to never again be the person who lied to him, who told him he wasn't good enough, who drove him away from the kingdom in the first place. Disbelieving what he was hearing, Antial shook his head, but was at a loss for words. 
Tyrol leaned forward in his palanquin, genuinely mystified. The truth is, I hope that I am a little more like you now, Tyrol. I want to be as kind and as loyal as you have been. I want to be as genuine and as real as you. Loella turned her attention to the crowd all around her, and to the senators in particular. Which is why I must tell all of you that we must leave this place. The dwarves and avians are not here to witness a new king's coronation. They are here because they think incorrectly that I have the banishing blade. They destroyed my ship looking for it, and now they plan to destroy all of us until they find it. Several gasps broke out in the crowd. At the sound of these accusations, several in the dwarven and avian delegations stood to their feet in outrage that Loella knew all too well to be feigned. Antiel's eyes were bloodshot with anger. You are not Senator Loella, girl! Antiel raged. Chiral, I beg you! Loella sobbed, turning back to him. I thought I could save everyone. I thought I could lie to you again. That I could fix everything. But I am no one's savior. I can't do everything. There are too many threats. Too much for any one king or queen or wanderer like me to fix. We all need to leave. Now! A number of other voices were starting to break out from the crowd. Insane! Ludicrous! Take her away! Please, Chiral! Loella begged her husband, still frozen in attention. I know that after all I've done, I can't be trusted to be queen. All I ask is that you trust me and help get everyone to leave now. And if you're willing to let me try again. She took the bracelet on her wrist, unlatching it and letting it fall to the ground as the illusion of the purple scale Jula fell and vanished revealing her familiar light orange scales instead. I will do my best to stop being Senator Loella, or trying to be Queen Loella, and instead be the friend I always should have been. Gasps erupted all around the room. It's, it's really her. We have been deceived. Our Cthulhu is here in our midst. And y'all fell backwards in shock. No. No, you, he began to rage. Silence, Chiral shouted, slamming the trident he was holding on the stone floor below him. The Senate quickly cowered and fell quiet, all eyes on the prince. After all, even though Chiral was a different breed of royal, past monarchs had not taken kindly to having anyone ignore that traditional call to attention. Chiral gave a long look at Loella, his hands raised to signal everyone else to keep quiet. After what seemed like an eternity of seconds, he gave a deep breath and said what were perhaps the most beautiful words Loella had ever heard come from his mouth. I believe you. Antia was absolutely flabbergasted, his erstwhile impermeable smile broken. You, you can't be serious. This is outrageous. Loella is a traitor to our people and guilty of... The trident was slammed to the floor again, and despite himself, Antiel stammered and fumbled with his words as Chiral turned to face the gathered assembly. I hereby order everyone to leave this place. 
The guards will help escort you from here safely. If you follow their instructions, you should all be... And then Kyral was cut off by a sudden sequence of events that even stunned Loella to silence, despite all she had been through. The entire edifice around them began to tremble and shake, screams erupting from the gathered Maeli. Loella immediately turned to where the dwarves were, and sure enough, there was a glow from each of their hands as walls of earth began to erupt from the ground, closing off all the doors to the assembly hall. This did not, however, block off the windows, through which dozens of avian bowfighters flew, beginning to attack the gathered crowd, focusing their attacks on the dwarves and on Loella in particular. She had to drop a shell of water around her, freezing it just before the arrows from the avians claimed her. She dove into the water below her, seeing several other merfolk had gotten the same idea, including, she saw with relief, King Kyral. But that sense of relief was cut dreadfully short, as she saw the king's eyes widen in the blackest terror she had ever seen on that face. For as she followed his gaze, there, below them, coming from the underwater entrances to the submerged portion of the assembly hall, were things. Things with altogether too many legs and antennae, aberrations of nature that were twisted beyond all recognition. However, that didn't mean she couldn't recognize one of those creatures. For in the forefront, contorted and misshapen, he still had the same face she had come to know so well. Captain Reichlow had, unfortunately, survived the wreck of the Penelopus. And that concludes our story for today. Join us on December 7th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for the conclusion of The Legend of Loella. And remember, you cannot see the hero until you know the monster.